Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Jack and T podcast presented by Saskatoon Golf Course. Saskatoon Golf Course, the greater premier golf course in the southeast corner of Grand Rapids and Caledonia, Michigan. It's a great golf course. It's one of the only 45-hole golf courses in Grand Rapids. Uh, Tristan and I have both played it multiple times. It's truly a phenomenal, phenomenal golf course. Uh, the new course, Silvers, is in great shape. They truly outdid themselves with the creation of it. And, uh, you know, go check it out. Saskatoon Golf Course, Caledonia, Michigan. All right, T. We're going to dive into uh, to show three. We're going to give a little rundown. Uh, we're going to hit on some Tiger stats, you know, a little somebody, Mr. Someone, someone joined the 500 club. Uh, we're going to touch on a little preseason, preseason football for the Lions and, and how much Tim Boyle sucks. Uh, we're going to touch on the all-NBA summer league teams. Uh, Pistons had a couple of guys, you know, make the roster. Um, as well as we're going we're gonna to talk a little Michigan football, you know, Cade McNamara, uh, the junior, was named the, the, uh, the starter for the team this year. Uh, we're going to talk a little, you know, exciting news around the program. And then, you know, ending up our show, uh, we're going to dive into that uh, boxing match this Sunday between Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley, which will be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and then for the first time on the Jack and T podcast, um, I had my, my very deary, dearest, excuse me, I misspoke there, dearest close friend, Leonardo Garcia join. And uh, it was a phenomenal interview that we had with him. Uh, he's a in my eyes, a combat sports expert. So we had a great time talking some combat sports, you know, running down some, some fights that have gone down uh, through the past year and uh, some upcoming ones in the, in the future. But uh, with that being said, T, you got any words before we get, we get going here? Okay. T Pagas, we got a, uh, we got a brand new logo and uh, we're on the come up. Just keep on listening and enjoying. So let's get hey, that's, it. that's great news to hear. Yeah. Check out the new logo. Uh, T put a lot of hard work into it. It's, it's fire. So with that being said, I mean, punch it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's great to be back, T. Tristan's moved in at school. I'll be I'll be moved in, get the setup down to Kalamazoo this week. But uh, we got some exciting news to start off the show right off the bat. I mean, Tristan and I have been Tigers fans for as long as I can remember, and uh, you know, T. Yeah, hey, we've been waiting. We've been waiting for this for the last couple of weeks, so it's it's finally uh finally happened. Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th career home run, and uh, kind of sad it didn't happen at Comerica, but the away crowd really brought the energy, and I was it loving did. it. You know, there's few times I'm th- I've been thankful over the past couple of years that I've just been scrolling through the the TV on Sundays looking for something to watch, and I happen to come across that Tigers game, and I don't know what inside of me told me to do it, but I, I clicked on it. And Miguel Cabrera was on deck. And sure enough, he had his 500th homer. And, uh, you know, it's a moment as a fan. One, I'll never forget watching it on TV. But, but as well as, as, as Tristan said, I'll, I'll capitalize on it. Um, it. It is really disappointing that it didn't happen in Comerica. It's, it's not – there's nothing wrong with it. It's just upsetting because you know how much more it means to the actual fans in, in Detroit and that organization and how much Miguel Cabrera means to us. I mean, this guy's going to have a statue outside of Comerica Park one day. Um, there's like – Hank Aaron and Miguel Cabrera are the only people to enter the 500, the 500 home run club and have multiple batting titles. If he gets the, if he gets the 
uh, 5,000 hits, he'll literally be the greatest hitter of all time. Yeah, and I would I would even say at like where he sits right now, best right-handed hitter I've ever seen in my life. And no, no, no doubt, the best no right-handed doubt. hitter of all time. I love. You know, him. I don't. I want to. I want to capitalize on something real quick here. I mean, no disrespect to Albert Pujols, but people from the the east side of the United States should think that Miguel Cabrera is the best hitter of our generation. I mean, one, we don't see Pujols play a lot, but even when you when you come down to it, I mean, I'm not discrediting Albert Pujols. He's one of the best hitters of all time as well. But Miguel Cabrera won a triple crown, just entered the 500 home run club, and is 45 hits away from 5,000 hits. Is it 3,000? No, 5,000. 3,000, excuse yeah, 3, me. 3,000, 3, my bad, my, my bad, excuse me. I missed a hell of an accomplishment if he gets to that club, especially this do you, year. Do you know how many he hits? Five, if he hits 503,000 this year. Well, he's at he's 45, away, 45 hits away right now, and unless he goes crazy, that, that's not realistic. Okay, that's fair. But How many games, how many games left do we have this season? Uh, it's end of, end of August right now, so we got about – I'd say about 68 games left. Okay. In the last 30 days, Mickey had 22 hits, six home runs as well. That's incredible. He's been on an absolute tear. Mm -hmm. So the MLB schedule ends. Not till Sunday, October 3. So it could happen. It could happen. He has two, he has two full months to still do it. No, he has one month. He only has one month. Okay, so we'll be seeing it next season then. Which next season will be exciting too. It'll oh, bring, absolutely! It'll bring the crowd beginning of the season. Oh, absolutely! We'll have to we we have to tag our asses out to uh out to Detroit and catch a ball game. Oh yeah, but no, I mean lots of lots of great energy around the Tigers. Either way, you know, um, it's incredible some of the things that they've done this year. Their win streak, um, you know, the 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 whole organization and, and the fan base. You can, we're not saying we're back, but we are back. We are. Let's get one thing. Let's get one thing clear to you. We're back. Like we the, back. the Detroit Tigers are back. Uh, we we had a packed crowd watching Miguel Cabrera try to hit a 500th home run on a Saturday night in downtown Detroit. I mean, if that doesn't give you wasn't the, wasn't, wasn't the high, highest capacity we had since 2019? Oh, since, tw- uh, 2018. since before COVID. 2018. 2018. 2018. Yeah. It's the highest capacity game since since COVID. That's cheers to, to cheer, cheers to that. Everyone's you know. Pfizer Pfizer vaccine just got approved, FDA approved. So, you know, people get get your vaccines if you want to. If not, you know, you do you. But, anyways, uh, switching over to the Lions. Um, not that preseason football matters, but I'm I'm still gonna watch. I'm a diehard Lions fan. T, I just want to get some of your thoughts on um, how you think they've played so far, and um, you know, just how excited you are to really see the the full team and starters come out in uh, in two weeks from now. Yeah. So. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make two points here before we get back to you. But Jared Goff hasn't wowed me yet, but he looked pretty good. I'll I'll just put that on the record. Um, but I'm gonna name three offensive players who have really stood out to me, and one is David Blow. He's been a great quarterback first two games, and uh, it's been exciting. Tim Doyle, I know you, or Tim Boyle, Tim Boyle. I know Tim, you're not the biggest fan. Tim Tim Boyle, if you hear this, I hate you. You are the worst. You are the hardest quarterback to watch on a TV I've ever. I, I mean, you literally make my eyes bleed. So that, yeah, that I'm looking. I'm said, looking at his. I'm looking at Tim Boyle's stats here, and he is 15 for 30, <laughs> and thrown about 85 yards in two games, 
where you look at David Blow, first game, David five Blau. for six. David Blow. Yeah. David Blow. Blau. You got it. Yeah, you Blau. got it. First, first game, five for six for 76 yards. Um, had a pretty solid game. Second game, 12 for 17, 130, or 143 yards and a touchdown. Um, looking pretty solid. I mean, we, we scored points in the fourth quarter against the Steelers and David Blau was in the game. So, I mean, the same thing happened with, against the Bills the previous game. When yep. David Blau was in the fourth quarter, we scored points. You know, it's interesting because I love Dan Campbell, but I'm, I'm truly – I'm fascinated at this point because it's been two games now, and I, I, think, I think we'll see it change. I, think, I, think, I do think David Blau will start um, – or will come in after Goff in the, in the final preseason game. Even if Goff doesn't play, he'll start. Um, yeah. But I, I think I think Boyle's dropping in the depth chart here. I mean, the guys are trying on the football field. It's it, you know people as fans, yeah, it doesn't count, it doesn't matter, blah blah. blah. It, it matters to players. There's been plenty of interviews and 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 several articles published that have said that preseason games do matter to play. Think about people that are trying to make a roster. You don't think they're going as hard as they can possibly? Like, it's not a cake. It's not a. It's not. If you're playing in the preseason, you're either playing for a spot or you're playing to get some experience and. And I think it's valuable time. So yeah, no, and, I and in preseason, like it really doesn't matter. Like when the fans do look at it, I mean, it gets us excited and ready for the season. It kind of shows us what we're working with. And and as us Lions fans, it it sometimes there's not much for us to look forward to going into a season. So I mean, seeing this team, it's better than what I was expecting. So I mean, it gives it gives Dan Campbell a lot to look at and uh it excites us fans kind of seeing the potential. So Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's, been, it's been good. Um, yeah, go touch up, touch up on your final players that you've been impressed with. Uh, yeah, so we have we have a running back, Craig Reynolds, who has a touchdown in both preseason games. Um, Is that the guy from Arkansas? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. He yeah. averaged eight point two yards per carry the first game, and just over five in the second game. Just actually, just under six in that second game. So, I mean, he's looking pretty good. And also, Tom Kennedy has not been guardable for a receiver. So, some other guys. Hear the name. Hear the name right now, folks. Tom Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, do we throw him on our fantasy sleepers picks from last week? We might have to. I mean, the guy, the it guys, is, it is just preseason, but you want to talk about preseason sleepers? Did you guys see that Cleveland or that, uh, excuse me? Um, who's the receiver last night for the Saints that was catching those oh, bombs from Jameis? Dude, Jameis was throwing some Jameis, dude. Jameis had a hell of a catch in that end zone. What was his name? I'll find it. No, I mean, uh, Jameis, Jameis has surprised me. I mean, it, it was kind of ballsy for Sean Payton to name Taysom Hill the starter. To Marquise um, Callaway. Marquise Callaway. Callaway, Mar- yes. Marquise Callaway. Callaway. Yeah, I, that's also an interesting – the Saints are going to be an interesting team this year. My mom, uh, I'll give her all the credit. She's been a Drew Brees fan from, uh, from day one ever since I started watching NFL football. Hey, that's just um, fine. Drew Brees is a nice guy. Back when my dad would give her shit because he would just call him the Aints because – that's my dad. Um, no, I think Sean Payton's got himself quite a quite the situation here with with uh, with Jameis. Jameis has been blowing off this preseason. Jameis has been looking good. I mean, yeah, those those two throws, those are tough. Especially the first one. He was double covered, and he threw yeah. it. He threw it. He threw it where either it was hitting the ground or his receiver was catching it, and he gave his receiver a great shot. Yeah, I saw um, Emmanuel Olbach came out today, and he said. I would not be surprised if Jameis Winston shows why he was drafted number one overall this year. And I don't necessarily agree with that. 
I don't. I mean, he, he did. He did have LASIK surgery in the offseason. Yeah, season. LASIK. I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, he's the, the eyes are cleared up. They're not, you know, yeah. he's laying off the booze. Um, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still a little worried about him at, at practice. Sometimes, I mean, you've seen some of the videos. He's yeah, been getting bullied by the drill. Yeah, James came out. James came out after that video. After that video surfaced, he's like, "Trust me, I ran through that drill three, four times, and it went perfect. Just when they turned the cameras to me, I, I kind of got my ass handed to me by a." Yeah, okay, Jameis. You know, <laughs> okay, hey, we'll, buddy. we'll let that fly. Yeah. We'll trust you. I, I didn't even see it happen, but no, I, I truly do think that the, that the Saints could be a, a, are going to be they're going to be tough. I think if, I think if, if be, he plays well. I think yeah, I think they have an interesting situation. Same with the Lions with the, the uh, our quarterback situation is going. Do you think? Yeah. You, you think Goff has solidified his starting spot though? I haven't seen. I haven't heard much about him from practices, but oh yeah, first, oh oh, he's starting, bro. He he's been to Super Bowl. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> He's won a playoff game. He's starting without a doubt. Jared Goff's our guy. Yeah. So, um, what do you? What's your prediction for Matt Stafford? Because uh, he lost his running back to was it ACL surgery or ACL yep, injury. Cam Akers is out. Um, yep. So, I mean, he's he still has running backs over in LA, but I mean, Matt Stafford's no no uh, no leg no, magician. No, yeah. no, 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 no. He's not at yeah, all. I mean, he's gunslinging. Yeah, he's used to not having a running back. I still think yeah, Matt absolutely. Stafford's gonna be in the MVP conversation this year. You know, I hope I hope that happens, but um, I got a really weird I got I got a bad feeling that the Rams something's just gonna happen. No man, I don't I even. So. We don't need to focus on that. But with that being said, I want to ask you who do you, who's been the most impressive rookie wide receiver and the uh, rookie quarterback that has impressed you the most so far. As much as I don't want to say it, Justin Fields actually looked good from the game I watched. The the play the the drive that I watched with Justin Fields, he actually looked decent. Um, it's still ballsy for Andy Dalton to come in week one. Um, I mean, I, I think they're I think they're really going to stick with him. Matt Nagy is 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 stuck with that situation. They have a tough. The Bears have a tough schedule going into the first. I think their first four games, they have the hardest. Dude, they, initial schedule. They open up on Monday night at the at the Rams with Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford, if you don't think Matt Stafford's gonna throw for four hundred yards and eight touchdowns, you're you're damn you're you're damn wrong. I mean, yeah. And, uh, rookie receiver. I actually don't know. I I couldn't put a I couldn't put a name on who's who stood out to me. Who who are you thinking? Who's I guess Bob's the receiver question. It's more so the quarterback. Um, you know, I gotta go Mac Jones. Um, I watched Justin Fields this past Sunday, and I didn't think he looked great. Uh, he's also running with the uh, the third string, yeah, the third string team for uh, the Bears. Which, by the way, number ninety five in the Bills. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for hitting Justin Fields that hard at, a week after he said at, a week after he said the NFL is in quotes slow to him. Yeah, I, I bet it. I bet it was slow when you got your headband knocked off, buddy. But um, anyways, um, you know. I really, I really like Mac Jones in New England. I don't know what it is. I think um, it was. I think Belichick made a great pick with that. I'm giving him all the credit. And uh, I think I do. You think you think Cam? You think Cam's gonna have a season where he he stays in, or you think he gets pulled some some point through the season? If Cam plays the way he did last year, he's getting pulled for sure, no doubt, no doubt, yeah, no yeah, doubt. I mean, I mean, he's. I mean, you got the Bills and also my Dolphins, both gonna be on the come up. Those. I mean, the Dolphins always give the Patriots a run. Even when they had Tom Brady, they always – Dolphins always found a way to win on the road. It was the weirdest thing, and it's it's been tough being a Lions and a Dolphins fan the last couple of years. Um, 
But I think Tua is going to put it together in Miami, and it'll be interesting to see what the Bills can do because I think the Bills are a Super Bowl quality team. And then me too. I think I think the Bills. And then are... you got the Patriots, which Patriots could be Patriots could be a a solid solid team. Could the Patriots, be the wild card. The Patriots are a team that because they've been so good for so long, no matter what their roster looks like, yeah, you have to include them in the conversation to be good. And, and good, I mean, make the playoffs. Like, I mean, well, make the playoffs. While we're talking about that division, we have another rookie quarterback. What do you think of the Jets? Because I don't see the Jets doing anything more than they did last year. That could be my bias. You know, but I think the Jets are going to be have a rough year, but I do think Zach Wilson's good. And I think Zach Wilson's good uh, for the Jets. Um, they got Robert Sala over there now from uh, from San Francisco. Yep. You know, before Dan Campbell got hired, I really wanted him to come to Detroit. I think we both were on that train. Yeah, the Robert Sala. Um, you know, he's one of those defensive-minded coaches, but he has a great – he's got a great toolbox of coaches um, with offensive coordinators and, uh, you know, great great staff around him uh, that he's brought in to New England – excuse me, to New York. And, uh, you know, I think – I think I I think they'll be better than they were last year. Um, it's hard so, to be that. that I also bad. have a yeah yeah. I don't I don't think the Jets do much this year. I don't. I think. Uh, Not, I also dude, think. Here, T. Here's the crazy part. The Jets, the Jets had the most one one touch one possession losses last year in the NFL. So it's not like they were getting blown out every week. They were just losing close games, which. You gotta win close games to be a good team, right? Like that's yeah, how that's, that's how that, it works. That's, that's the yeah. NFL. I mean, that's if, the your NFL. Defense, if your defense can't if your defense can't keep up, then that's if your de- if your defense it. can't if your defense blitzes on third or fourth and twelve and a hail mary with one second left and you give up a fifty yard touchdown, your next your next three years are looking rough. Yeah. All right, Jaguars prediction for that rookie quarterback there with Trevor Lawrence. I think it'll be good. I think, think so? I think yeah, I think he's NFL NFL quarterback. Yep. So they cut Tim Tebow. It's a little upsetting to me, but you know Tebow had the Tebow Tim Tebow had like the number one jersey sales that like two weeks span after he got signed with. with the Get Jaguars. Tim Tebow's ass out of here. Yeah. Get him out of here. He stinks. I thought that was funny. No, they they cut I thought, him. Uh, I thought it was funny though. I'll comment on this. I thought it really was funny how people were bashing him on social media. Hey, he sealed the edge. He didn't do it properly, but he did it. I mean, it doesn't in football. It doesn't matter how you do it as long as you do it legally. And he did. He put his head yeah. down and like kind of rolled into like a little ball, but it worked. And yeah. he sealed the edge. So, all right. Everyone, so my last. That's hating on Tim Tebow. Relax, relax. Yeah. He's a good guy, but he he does stink at tight end. I'll, I'll I'll give you that. He does stink. Yeah. All right. So last NFL question. I don't think we've talked about this at all on this podcast besides Matthew Stafford potential Super Bowl, which we'd love to see. But who is your Super Bowl pick for this year? We're two games into the preseason, and we're getting – I mean, we have our fantasy draft. I have one of my league's fantasy drafts this, this Friday. I mean, do you so. want me to be serious? Yeah. Tom Brady. Tom Brady and the Bucs are going to win so? the game. Yeah, dude, he, they are just – Tom Brady is just so much better at winning than everyone. Like, it's so you hard. You can't bet against him. No. Because when – like, what what – Look at the, the pack. Year. The Packers last year they they looked unstoppable at times. Like they That's did. True. They have Aaron Rodgers, who's the best quarterback in the NFL, like mo- talent wise. Yep, with Aaron Jones, who's a great running back. I mean, and Devontae Adams. Adams. I think Devontae Adams are, is the best receiver are, in the league. I do too. Those are if you look at it. If you look at it from me, from my own personal perspective, you have and 
there's a difference. You have to understand me. There's a difference between saying Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback in the NFL and Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback. Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback in the NFL, and it's not close. The guy looks like a fucking normal, normal ass dude who works on cars and and you know maybe takes the 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 dog out for a walk every once in a while. This guy can can literally juke out a safety and make him break his own ankles. And then the next play, he can drop back in the pocket, roll out for 20 yards and throw an 89 yard bond on the field to Devontae Adams, who is the best receiver in the NFL. Do not care what you say. Look what he did to Jalen Ramsey. That's all I'll say. People, people like to respect Jalen Ramsey so much. Jalen Ramsey is a great corner. Look what, look what Devontae Adams consistently does to Jalen Ramsey. He gives him the work every time. Brings it every time. You know, I don't understand why Jalen Ramsey keeps talking to Devontae Adams and talking to all. I feel but like once you get. But he was getting burned by Hunter Renfro the other day and then denied it on Twitter. He got burned all day by hey. Hunter Renfro. Last podcast, I told y'all, Hunter Renfro, sleeper pick. Hunter Renfro <laughs> is a gangster, certified bucket. He is a baller. He's a baller. You don't catch the national championship and end Alabama's throne. Unless you are a certified white baller. With that being said, we're going to switch it on over to the T. You want to catch on? You want to uh, touch on the summer league real quick here? Yeah, talking about certified white ballers, Peyton Pritchard on first uh, first team all summer league. I think he balled out. He surprised me with the Celtics. I uh, not a big Peyton Pritchard fan, but he's a bucket. He's a yeah. bucket. He is a bucket. A bucket yeah. machine. He's always been a bucket. I hated him at Oregon, but yeah, you don't like him because they beat us. That was yeah. a bad, that was a bad loss. We should have <laughs> beat him. Oh, Michigan had. Oh, I, yeah. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Well, actually, let's get into the let's get into um, our two Pistons picks first, and then we'll get to the rest of the summer league um, teams. So we had two picks on the second team with Luca Garza and our of course coming Kate Cunningham. Kate Cunningham. Um, what did you see out of them? You know, obviously we're not going to see the scoring from Cade that we, that we did expect to right away. Um, summer league's a little bit more, it's a little, it's a little bit more, um, what's the way to put this? It's still, it's still sophisticated NBA level basketball, but it's a little bit more laid back. Um, you know, you, you still got guys fighting out there for that are fighting for positions, you know, fighting for spots on rosters, um, trying to make a living. So you got to add that you know, aspect into it and combine it with the fact that it's a, it's a summer league, you know, the guys are out here trying to get better. They're not trying to get hurt before the season starts, but you know, some things that I saw from Kate Cunningham that I really was looking for were, was leadership. You know, you talk about a guy who's on the bench and is constantly getting up and, you know, applauding his team, you know, helping guys, even when, you know, like, for example, Luca Garza, one time he, I think it was their first game. He had a step back jumper. I mean, just to see like the emotion and, and uh, you know, how much energy Cade Cunningham brought with like, even when they were just running back down court to play defense, it was, it's great to see it. That's what you want with a number one draft pick. You don't, you don't want to bring in a guy like Jalen green. You don't, I don't, I, I don't want to bring in a guy like Jalen. I don't want to bring in a guy that's going to have any negativity towards coming towards a new town and, and a new city, especially, especially when, yeah, especially, especially when a he, city like Detroit. Yeah. Especially when Jalen green doesn't know anything. And Jalen green, if you hear this, you're a certified bum. That's what you are. You ain't a certified. You're a bum. Yep. You got the whole. Was, uh, you got the whole city on your back for zero reason. But uh, hey, have fun with that. Hey, and this was our weekly slander of Jalen Green, brought to you by uh, the Jack and T podcast. We yeah. are. Uh, we hate Jalen Green. Um, Jalen Green is a, is a known enemy to the state of Michigan. 
Yeah, and, I mean, and any other Detroit fan. I mean, Jalen really Green basically, basically took a crap on the a pile of crap on on Detroit last week on Twitter, and thought he was. I don't know if he thought it was funny. I don't know if he thought it was cool. But Buddy is an idiot. Yeah, he he messed with the wrong state. I'm telling you. I think we're gonna have to cough it up and uh, go to that game. Oh, I am December 18th. Fans out there, book it. I'm being there. Yeah. I'll see you. All right, so... I'll see you. I'll see you there, Jalen Green. We'll see so how you let's perform. Talk, let's let's talk about our our biggest surprise for the Pistons summer league. I would say Luca Garza. He shot the fucking lights out. That's no Caesar that's really. no surprise to me, bro. He um he did the same thing to Michigan in college. Uh, you and I both being Michigan basketball fans. Sophomore year, Luca Garza had sixty against us, and then his junior campaign, he had forty five and forty eight. So, when you got a guy who scores sixty, forty five, and forty eight, the the bare minimum I was expecting from Luca Garza was at least 10, but I'm glad he fulfilled that, and I'm glad he showed his true capability because I know that guy – I think he scored 30 in an NBA game. I'm oh, I think, I think I think Luka Garza could be a top-10 center in the league in a couple of years. Dude, he's that just got to get – yeah, he's just got to get his defensive – He stretches the floor like no other like no other center in the he, – he might actually be the best shooting center in the NBA. Yeah, and I think that's his biggest attribute on this team. Um, I mean, he did put in some work down low. He had he had what he had two double doubles. Dude, that we saw. dude, he, he's bringing in rebounds. He lost. He dropped a lot of weight. He looks a lot thinner. He does. Yeah, he and, looks a lot thinner. And in, in my my biggest concerns in episode two that we talked about was his his defense and his rebounding. If he could do both those things, he'd earn a spot on the Pistons easily to back up Beef Stew. So, I'm I'm big Luca Garza guy now. From everything that I saw, in it's, college. Crazy. it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It, it, it's crazy how life changes. Because four months ago, if you would have said I like Luka Garza, I would I would I could have given you up a, a eight page paper of all the reasons I hate Luka Garza. But guess what? If He's you a deep... told me if you would have told me this past basketball season that we we're getting Cade Cunningham, Isaiah Levers, and Luka Garza in this draft on the Pistons, I would have told you you're told you're crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm 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 loving this team. Did you see? Did you see they're only predicting the, the Pistons to win six more games than last year? That's I'm good. They're sleeping. Yeah, and and I think part of that is the East got a lot better. I mean, the Nets are going to come out and be absolutely disgusting this year. I mean, if you got the stay, Bucks. They stay healthy. Yeah, you got the Bucks. They're going to still. They're. I mean, reigning champs. They're going to come in. They're still going to be a very solid team. And then the Heat adding Kyle Lowry, another pretty solid sleeper team in the and, East. Hey, and and PJ Tucker. Yep. Yep. And PJ Tucker. The Heat also, should be. They my got all they got all the deep on the on the contract they, yeah, on the minimum do. too. Oh my, they're gonna be tough. And and Duncan Robinson, what he resigned this year for ninety mil. Yeah, our boy, our, our boy, boy made it. Our boy made it from D three basketball to man, he makes us proud. Hey, o- only player who's lost a D three championship, NCAA championship, and NBA finals. Let's go, baby. Quite a stat, huh? Hey, someday, some days those L's L's will stack into a dub. Promise you that. Yeah. One day. Also, I'm just going to make a point here. Um, I know you're going to give me a little shit, but my Knicks, we had a decent free agency this year. I'm, I'm loving the new team coming in. We got Derrick Rose and Kendall coming back in. And then also Evan Fournier. Hey, I'm not it, saying shit. Kem, Kemba Walker in the garden. Back in the garden. That's a scary thought. Kemba huh. Walker has done some damage in the garden. Yeah, I mean, my, my hopes for um, the Knicks – Summer was to I wanted Lonzo Ball. I'm not gonna lie, I wanted Lonzo in in New York, but Kemba is getting Kemba. I'm I'm loving it. So that's my outlook on the Knicks. I think they're gonna be a pretty solid team. Probably another five seed. Um, 
I think the Hawks will get the four seed. So I just think that's how it's going to work out this year um, in the East. But Pistons potentially eight seed making the playoffs, you think? I'm in. Book it. Book it. We might even win a playoff game. Who knows? Spin ship it. Let's run it. All right. With that being said, we're going to transition on over to Michigan football. I'm going to touch on this a little bit here. Michigan football opens up the schedule in 12 days from now. I will be going to the game. Uh, it's going to be my, my home school, Western Michigan. It's going to be visiting the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. You know, I'm really excited to get back to a normal, normal big venue. Uh, I haven't been to the big house in quite some time now, being the, the year and a half it's been. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm so used to going there. I always, I always make it over a couple games a year. Um, it's truly one place in the world that I'm just so happy to be in and love watching watching Michigan play there, but really excited to see some of the young guys get in there. You know, obviously they're going to trounce Western, but um, really excited to see, um, you know, JJ McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, you know, some of those younger guys that, you know, maybe even a little bit of Alan Bowman in there, you know, give the guy a shot. I mean, Alan Bowman might drop 50 on, on Western Michigan though, bro. He, Alan Bowman is a scary backup. Yeah. Alan Bowman is a scary backup. Just keep, just keep that name in your back pocket. I don't know if you, you overpull it. You think we see JJ a decent amount week one? Yeah. Yeah, you think, I think so. Yeah, I how's, think. how's Western's team? How's Western's team's gonna stack up? Like, what what's Western do well that Michigan might have a little bit of a struggle with? If, if I anything. mean, I'll tell you this: if Michigan's DBs are as bad as they were last year, we might be in for a long game because Jalen yeah. Hall, Jalen Hall, and uh, our quarterback. This is a completely different team we're talking about, though. We just lost uh, round two draft pick Dwayne Askridge, our wide receiver. Yep. If that man played last year against Michigan, I think Western would have won. You really think so? Yeah. yeah. He's really I, tough. He's I, tough. I, I've convinced myself that last year didn't have a Big Ten season and Michigan did not have a 2020 campaign. Yeah, yeah, so no, it didn't happen. It's gone in You're my right. mind. You're right. Um, but, no, yeah, JJ's quarterback, too, according to Harbaugh right now. Uh, Edwards, Donovan will definitely see the field. Uh, but, no, excited to see what Michigan has this year. Um, so. What's your running back outlook for Michigan? Who do you think? Who do you think our guy is? Oh, this year? so so excited! Uh, Michigan has Mike Hart on the running staff now. Um, I don't know if you guys have followed Mike Hart. Mike Hart was a former running back at the University of Michigan, one of the probably the best running back we've had in the last decade, one of the best ever. Um, he was fun to watch. Last two decades, excuse me. Yeah, no, he was fun to watch as a little kid. He was great. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've watched the stuff he's done with, he was at Indiana. I mean, if you watch the stuff he did with Indiana, hell of a coach there. Dude, Indiana, Indiana's running game became a problem while Mike Hart was there. If Mike Hart can establish that, I saw an interesting quote from Mike Hart a couple of weeks ago. It said, you know, as far as, you know, mixing the backups and getting them different carries, that's all going to come into play as when we're in practice and when we're in game situations, week one, week two, and week three, you know, when I'm going to see how guys are going to you know, play better on different downs. So if, if Blake is, if Blake is, Blake Corum, is doing better at getting out, you know, getting out speed, speed and space on, on downs one and two. And maybe Hassan Haskins is more of a, you know, he's getting, he's getting those three, four harder yards on, on third and short or second and short. He said, it's all about finding the guys that, that are most comfortable in those specific situations. And that's something as a fan that I am just like, thank God, because, you know, it, it just seemed like last year at times we were just throwing guys out there and, uh, you know, maybe just to, to change the Jersey number up. I don't, I don't really know, but, um, you got, you gotta, you gotta get a running back used to the, the down. If you're going to run multiples, you know what I mean? You gotta have different, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a, it's, it's like a, the, the chargers back in the day, 
I always remember this. LaDainian Tomlinson, Darren Sproles, you know? I mean, LT was fast, but... LT was the dog, and then Darren but, Sproles was... But Darren Sproles was yeah. speed. Yep. So, you know, you got to so, find out your guys and, and what situations fit their personality and play style better. Yeah, I think I think Michigan, I think the quarterback situation is going to be fun to watch. Uh, we have, if not the best, but we have one of the best quarterback rooms in the country um, for up-and-coming quarterbacks, and I'm very excited. But having Hassan Haskins as the starter backed up with Blake Corum, I think we forget about him as Michigan fans because we do we did sign Donovan Edwards, and he's such an exciting prospect. But, I mean, Mike Hart, you brought up Mike Hart. In one of the past interviews, Mike Hart compared Blake Corum to himself, which – yeah. Ballsy of ballsy of Mike Hart to say, but I mean I, I like everything that. I've heard about Corum, I mean I think he's gonna be a dog. I think he'll I think he'll surprise a lot of Michigan fans, and uh, I think he's gonna be one of our main offensive threats this year. I think man's his problem. Yeah. I think I think Blake I think Blake Corum is a problem. I think I think he is a certified problem. I'm talking problem for anybody in the country. Um, I think he's a guy that can give Michigan an edge in Ohio State this year. Like I mean he's that good. I watched a video of his yeah, legs. His footwork is through the roof. His footwork is as good as any NFL running backs. Promise you. Yeah, I think Quorum could turn out to someone like Saquon in a couple of years. Like Dude, if, he if reminds he truly... me. He reminds me just of him. I swear. Yeah. yeah, but with I mean, Hassan Haskins is the veteran on the team. I think if he gets 200 carries this year, um, he'll get to a thousand yards easy. I think so, so too. Nope. Yeah, I'm excited. So me too. Um, man. Wide receiver be, picks for Michigan. Who's our Who's our wide receiver one? Oh, I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell. Yeah, I'm big on Ronnie Bell. You now. think Ronnie Bell? You think Ronnie Bell's first or second round pick this upcoming after this year? No, no. no Michigan doesn't have a had a tendency for for producing high draft picks um, when it comes to wide receivers. But Tigers won. Let's go four to three. Yep, I just got that. Casey Mize had a great game. Yeah, he did. Casey Mize. Casey Mize only gave up a couple runs and scored a run. Well, with that so, being said, um, getting back to my point, we got Roman Wilson, who I've heard a lot of good things of, a sophomore from Hawaii. We got A.J. Henning, who has the same high school as uh, J.J. McCarthy before he transferred to IMG, which is huge because that's chemistry that can't be bought. That's chemistry that's built. And, um, you know, we got a lot of young receivers out there led by a veteran, Ronnie Bell, and also the transfer. I forgot to mention his name. Um, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but we got a transfer from a Texas Tech, right? No. Well, that's Alex Bowman. In one second. He's the, uh, from, uh, ja- uh, from the Jackson transfer. from Jackson State. Daywin Day Daywin Baldwin. Daywin Baldwin. Let's look up his his height and his statistics. I haven't heard much about him. So Daywin Baldwin. He, he's a he's a six three, one hundred and ninety five pound wide receiver uh, from Jackson State. He led their conference in receiving last year. And, you know, he's a guy that brings size and speed. He had last year, he had 14 receptions. Oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. That was his 2018 stats. Last year's stats, he had 27 touchdowns. Holy shit. (laughs) He had 27 touchdowns at Jackson State in one year. That's exciting. As a wide receiver. Yeah, that guy's gonna be good. Excuse yeah. my French, but that guy's that guy's gonna be good. Um, so a lot of a lot of exciting things coming up in Michigan football. Um, it's gonna be a bounce back here for sure. Yeah, um, I think we I think we go eight and four, and uh, we head into the 
what I think is going to be the JJ area in the next couple of years, JJ and Blake Corum with Donovan Edwards. But yeah, I think, I think, dude, they named CJ Shroud uh, starting quarterback down in uh, that shitty state south of us. Um, I think he'll be decent. I think Michigan, I think Ohio State will be 11 and 0 um, coming into the Michigan game. I think it's going to be a closer game than people think this year. But I think Michigan ends the season 8 and 4. That's, that's, what I, that's what I said to my buddy MJ. He called me crazy. I mean, we could be 10 and 3 by the end of the season with a bowl win. He called you we'll crazy. See what happens. Yeah, we could be. We could be. What does he think we're going to go? Seven and five? Uh, he was, uh, he's an MSU fan and he was talking shit like MSU is going to win more than four games this year. So, no, they're not. They yeah. might win. They might win two. <laughs> I mean, Actually, that, that Rutgers, that Rutgers rivalry is, is, it's going to be a great game this year for MSU. It's not really a rivalry anymore. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like Michigan, Ohio State. Gosh, I love MSU slander. All right. You want to throw it to the, uh, the Leo interview? Um, Real quick before we head to the Leo interview, um, just for a heads up for the Michigan fans out there, Michigan State is at Rutgers on October 9th. So make sure you tune in at noon. Um, that'll be Mark a sure calendars. yeah, that'll be a sure loss for MSU. And let's just let's just see what MSU's football schedule looks like real quick. I looked through it, bro, and I couldn't find four, I couldn't find five wins on their schedule. Okay, so they open up at Northwestern. That's a loss. Uh, then they come home on 9-11 for well, this is questionable. It'll be a close game against the Sound State. Um, I mean, the next week they go at Miami. That'll be a slaughterhouse. They're going to get destroyed by Miami. Yeah. Um, in Hard Rock, they're to get they're going to get lit. Uh, they're going to lose to Nebraska at home on the twenty fifth. They might, depending on if they beat Youngstown State, they might sneak past Western Kentucky on October second if they're lucky. Uh, depending on the weather, maybe if it's like rainy, because Michigan State's really good at winning rainy days. So that's that's one win for sure. Yeah, we'll and give them one and a half so far we'll through the schedule. We'll give them one and a half so far. Um, they're gonna lose the Rutgers because they always do. They're gonna get absolutely destroyed by Indiana. They're gonna get destroyed by Michigan. They may, they may, they may win one game against Purdue and Maryland. They they so they win we... one. I'm saying they're giving them two and a half, three wins this year. I'm giving them a, I'm giving them a, I'm giving them an over, you know, max four wins. No, right, yeah, so, no, max, max so, is three, bro. I think so max more of the story, more of the story. Whenever the, uh, the win predictions come out, bet the under on MSU. Um, I think they'll have a great season. Their, uh, their coach is kind of a badass. He, uh, he bogeys every hole and smokes cigars, and I love him. So, yeah, you know, uh, Mel Tucker's a savior, according to people. Yeah, MSU beat a rival in our worst year. In the you know, hey, you guys can celebrate that all you want, just like you guys keep on celebrating the Money Bates, right? I mean, it's good things. It's good things comes to those who wait. Yeah, as right, we like gonna, to say, we're gonna lose MSU viewers. So let's go to this interview. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, real quick before we head to the interview, Jake Paul time with Woodley this Sunday. What who you got? I'm, it's on, it's I'm time. rooting. I'm rooting for Woodley because I I've never in my life liked the Paul brothers. I just saw actually I actually just saw a uh, quote come out that which which one of the brothers wants to fight Miles Garrett? It just came out. Did you see that? That's a, they'll probably beat him. Miles Garrett stinks at boxing. Miles Garrett is a unit. 
but I mean, boxing is different. So we'll see. I, I don't think, I don't think, I think Woodley wins and that's just what I'm going to leave it at. What are you thinking? Woodley first round to go. All right. I'll, uh, I'll hit it on Barstool Sportsbook. All right. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, Justin and I are going to close out the show here. Uh, we're going to, uh, right at the end of the show, we're going to include our interview that I have with Leo. Um, it's great seeing you guys again. Please check out the new logo on the, uh, for the new podcast. Uh, once again, Tristan put a lot of hard work in. It's, it's truly awesome. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, we'll be back next week uh, with a longer episode. Um, yep, we're just getting used to this, this Zoom thing because we're both at college now, but uh, just hang with us. We're, we're getting there. Enjoy the ride, baby. It's just getting started. Any closing comments? I think I'm set. I mean, I'm rooting for Woodley on Sunday. Let's see it. Oh, we got college football this weekend, so big, big, big pod next week. Big pod next week. Open your sports book. Get it going. Football, football is back. Football, football is back. Ladies and gentlemen, episode three of the Jack and T. With that being said, we're going to pass it over to Mr. Leonardo Garcia and myself, T. Thanks for getting on, and we'll see all you listeners later. Have a good one. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our interview portion of the Jack and T podcast presented by Saskatoon Golf Course. Today, we have a special guest, my very close friend, Leonardo Garcia, is going to join us to be talking some UFC and boxing. Leo, how are we doing on this fine evening? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, absolutely humbled to have this space on the podcast, thanks to you and uh, Tristan. It's always a blessing to talk combat sports with anybody, and especially in a space like this, I'm, I'm honored. Let's get this thing going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with that being said, you know, there's been a lot, you know, UFC's on the rise, you know. Um, I know you're traditionally, you know, you know, you're a big boxing fan, but um, you've, you've really grown, and, um, you know, you've had... Your, your passion is known now for UFC, but I want to get your thoughts on McGregor and Poirier's third matchup. What did you think of the first round, and what, and what do you think of the um, the way it ended, and, and what do you think about Conor McGregor, and what's, what's next for him? So, to start off the fight, I mean, we saw the energy there. We saw that vintage Conor, even the night before at the weigh-in and at the press conference, you know. Everybody saw the kind of McGregor that they wanted to see, that they saw had disappeared against Cowboy Cerrone, um, that they thought wasn't there anymore after the second fight with Poirier. But he showed up. He was there for the press conference. He was ready to go. Um, he showed the he showed that character as he came into the ring, and you know it excited me as a as a fan of his and his fighting style. And then he comes into the fight and he starts off strong. He's trading leg kicks with uh, Dustin Poirier. He swings big sometimes and he missed a few of those shots. But the energy is, I think, what got a lot of people going, you know, thought this, that this would be his fight. Um, then, of course, the fight goes to the ground. Poirier begins to dominate. Um, there was many times throughout that, throughout that portion when McGregor was down by the cage that I thought, that it would it would end there, but uh, he was tough, and he even traded some some kicks from from the ground that seemingly hurt Poirier. Absolutely, which is what shocked me. There's a there's a moment where I think Poirier even took like a step back, and he stopped he stopped the uh, beating he was putting on Connor for being honest here, and it it really shocked me that Connor did that much damage. But you know he was taking all these elbows, and 
uh, near the end of the round, I was I was looking at it, and you know I thought maybe Herb would put an end to it, but he didn't, thankfully. And then of course the fight gets back up to their feet, um, and Connor throws a big kick right off the bat, and he even starts mixing it up a little bit with the fist, and then of uh, of course the incident happened where he unfortunately broke his leg, but um, that really leads me to wonder what what would have happened in the second round. You know, if if we would have seen McGregor come back to his feet, uh, just look completely drained, and that was it for him, I would have been worried. I would have told you Poirier would have came out in the second and put this thing to rest. But that wasn't the case. Conor McGregor looked like he was still ready to go for another one. So, um, you know, it was unfortunate, unfortunate what happened, but, you know, that's the sport. That's what these guys sign up for, and, you know, it's part of it. And personally, I feel pretty unsatisfied with how this ends, you know. You have a trilogy... It's split one apiece. You want to see someone win. And technically, Poirier does take this one. But I think many people feel pretty unsatisfied with this. And I think we need, a, we need a fourth. And I think that's what's next for Conor McGregor. If not, a fight with someone within that weight class before fourth. But I think it needs to happen. I, you could not have said it better. That was a great piece on the McGregor and Poirier trilogy. Leo Garcia, that was phenomenal. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean... It is so, especially as, as just a genuine fan of the UFC, it's so unsatisfying watching that, that build-up to that fight. I mean, I cannot remember the last time I was that excited for a UFC event. And, and the whole event was great. It was great. And it was just a very unfortunate freak injury that, as you said, it's, that's, what the, that's the sport. It happens. You have to be aware as a fan and as a fighter that every kick, every move, every every second in that cage, you are you are one move away from either as a risk knocking someone out, getting knocked out, breaking someone's leg, or breaking your own leg. I mean, it is crazy how much and how fast things can happen in the UFC. But no, spot on uh, analysis of McGregor Poirier three. And with that being said, I want to transfer it over. I want to get your thoughts because upcoming UFC two sixty eight in New York. In November, Usman versus Kamaru Usman versus Kobe Covington two. In their first matchup, it's one of the best UFC fights of all time. Um, Kamaru Usman was on the rise. Kobe Covington had the you know the interim, the interim belt, and uh, it was a dog fight. You know, going into round four, I had Kobe you know two to one. You know and. Um, Obviously, after Usman, after Usman hit him with the, with the jaw there and broke his jaw, it, it really turned the fight into, you know, Kobe more being self-defensive rather than, you know, on the same level playing field with him. But I just want to get your thoughts on that first fight. And if there's anything that you can see from the first fight, you know, transforming over the second one, do you think you'll see more wrestling? Because you got to remember, we're, we're talking about two of the best wrestlers in all of UFC right here. And not one. Not one takedown in their first matchup two years ago. Not one. Well, I agree. I mean, this is something out of a movie. When you said that it's one of the best fights in the UFC of all time, you know, you're 100% spot on. If there was a movie about these guys and you threw that, um, you know, that fight between them in there, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell. That's that's the shit you see in movies. Absolutely. And excuse my language there, but it was it's something my mind-boggling for these guys to go go at it for you know, five rounds and just stand and bang. And that brings me to the biggest question I have for this for this bout. Is it going to be on the feet again? 
And, you know, both these guys can wrestle. I personally think when it comes to being on the ground, Colby Covington has the edge. Uh, so it, it, I'm really curious to see if that if that'll happen. But uh, to go back to the first fight, you know, these guys were mixing it up real well. And I had, them, you know, one apiece, one apiece. And then, you know, going into the fourth, Colby takes that takes that round. It's two to one for me as well. The jaw's broken. And, you know, it's it's one of those amazing things that you see in the corner where a trainer asks a fighter, do you want to go on? Do you want to keep doing this? And obviously, you know, the fighter can call it off. We've seen it all the time. And there's some in injuries you just can't go on with. But Colby Covington gives him the nod, and he goes out, out, out there for another another five minutes. But, you know, he has to be more pro protective of it. And that was a pretty nasty break. He unfortunately has his mouth open. And, you know, Usman clips him beautifully right on the jaw and just breaks it. But, you know, Colby went at it again. And I think being defensive is what really kind of cost him there. Uh, if it would have went five, I think it might have ended up being three two Camaro. But you, you really can't tell. I mean, those first four rounds were fought so so great and with such grit between both of those that you could tell these guys wanted to rip each other's heads off. So um, you know, I think the striking component's definitely going to be there. I want to see on Colby Covington's part incorporating more of that, more of his leg kicks. I think that he. Adding more of those in can definitely catch Kamaru a little bit off his rhythm and mm -hmm. allows him to land bigger shots. I agree. That's what I want to see. Yep. Yep. Bigger shots um, up top from Colby. But I think those leg kicks are going to open that door for him perfectly. And, you know, if it needs to go down on the ground, you know, take him down, Colby or Usman. Go for it. Go for the takedown. You know, we see, we've seen uh, Colby with Woodley. You know, he... Oh, he dominated him. Yeah, he... Yeah. He did, and he... Awesome, like a crouton and saddle. I mean, just put... Wrestle him. Exactly. You know, throw him around. And he... And, you know, he didn't just uh, throw those uh, takedowns in like nothing. You know, he, he set those up. You know, he was striking. He was using his leg kicks. And when they were there... He was baiting them. They yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah he absolutely. baited them. And he executed perfectly. So I think that is a big edge Kobe can have. And, you know, as much as we love seeing these standing bangs go down... You know, if it needs to go on the ground, I, I'm sure it won't take away from it being a great bout. And I, I think that's definitely what we have on our hands here in New York pretty soon. I mean, it's a great point. And what I have to, what I have to say to that is, to the UFC's point, uh, how close the first fight was, right? Not one takedown was taken. It was Stan and Bang. Imagine if, imagine if Kobe gets a takedown in the fourth round. You know, how much a takedown, a takedown will, will help you, you know, because you get that control on the ground. You know, and judges take a lot in a lot into factor about you know takedowns and and things of that nature. You know, you can get a lot of points in a judge's eyes by controlling in the ground for a while. Um, I mean, even look at the at the Connor and Poirier fight for mm -hmm. the first round. And Poirier had him down on the ground, and you know the judges scored it a what ten eight. Yeah, because, many people were calling yeah, it yeah, a 10 it was eight. Ten eight. And, whether uh, it was on the judges, cards whether, or yeah, not, whether it was, it was not, it was ten, 10 eight. eight. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, there's a lot of different things about this fight. You know, Kamar Usman's been defending his belt. I don't think he's been fighting that great of caliber people yet. I mean, no, no, no knock on Jorge Masvidal. Excuse me, Jorge Masvidal is a great fighter, but um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's he, he's up with Usman right now. Um, Colby Covington's only fought one time since he's fought Kamar Usman. That is another thing that. 
worried me when I first thought about the second matchup. But then I realized Kobe's had three training camps. And he's had three fights canceled and moved. So he, it's, it hasn't been like he, has, he hasn't been, you know, taking the Conor McGregor out mm-hmm. like he did a couple years ago when he boxed and then he took some time off. Yep. He's been training. So, you know, I think, I think it'll be a very it, – obviously, it's going to be a very highly anticipated matchup. Um, I'm really pulling, pulling for Colby. Um, you know, I, I know the people out there might be mad with that take. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Kobe's personality, but, you know, I love his, um, his competitiveness. I love his trash talk, and, and I love the way he fights. You know, he's a dog in there. Any guy that gets his bra joking, you know, uh, jaw broken, excuse me, jaw broken, looks at the, uh, looks at the coach and uh, gives him a nod and says, yeah, let's go another round. I mean, you love to see that from a, from a guy that just shows how, how much he's willing to give it to the sport. But um, with that being said... Also, in New York, UFC 268, co-main event, Michael Chandler coming off his heartbreaking loss for the lightweight belt versus Charles Oliveira will be fighting Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje has not fought since his loss against Khabib Nurmagomedov back in Abu Dhabi last year. Leo, want to get your thoughts on this fight, uh, some of the strengths of Chandler, some of the strengths of Gaethje, and how you think this fight you know, plays out. I don't want your prediction yet because we're going to pick them later, but I want to get your, I just want to get your analysis on this, uh, on this breakdown. Yeah, no, definitely great matchup on the UFC's part. Um, you know, yeah, I should say real quick, they said, uh, Gaethje's the number two contender and Chandler mm-hmm. being the number four contender. So yeah, do with that, Leo. It's obviously it's, it's a big, it's a big matchup. You know what? The winner of this is probably, is probably fighting the winner of Oliveira and Poirier. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the winner of that's first title defense. But with that being said, Chandler Gaethje. Yeah, no, but, you know, we have a great fight on our hands. I want to start off by saying, you know, I absolutely enjoy both of these guys' styles. You know, Mike Chandler coming over from uh, Bellator, and he's only two fights into the UFC, and he seemingly looks very comfortable in the UFC. Um, you know, I don't know too many guys out there that would be able to make that transition over and make it look so seamless and he's he's definitely done that you know he's he showed that uh he belongs in there and you know looking at the uh list of lightweights there if i was to look you know back before this fight was even picked if i was to look at it and i could pick up the sorry if i could pick the best matchup within that top 10 who would it be i and i looked at the list and i thought of this before and i thought man Chandler and Gaethje would be a hell of a matchup. And that, you know, both these guys are explosive. They recognize it, too, uh, in an interview they had a while ago. They're explosive, they're great, and they're entertaining. You know, in the words of uh, Daniel Cormier in the, in the Poirier-Gaethje fight, you know, if you want big fights and if you want a big main event, put Justin Gaethje on it. And it's going to be a good one, you know. Explosive, both these guys like to trade and they have big shots. Um, yeah, it's going to be a tough one to pick. Definitely an even matchup, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, as far as Gaethje goes, very busy fighter. You know, he's always moving. He's always coming forward. And we saw that a lot uh, with and against Poirier and against uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Um, you know, he was he was doing a good job with his leg kicks. Gaethje does beautiful with those leg kicks. Absolutely. And yeah. it really brings me to question, you know, how... 
how much does he plan on using those against Chandler? And I think that can be a huge weapon for him. And keeping Chandler at bay because, you know, in a blink of an eye, Chandler is one of those guys I like to call them firecrackers because, boom, once they're going, it's over. It's lights out. Um, But I think that can be a tool for Justin Gaethje uh, using those leg kicks, but just staying busy. But, you know, one thing I saw against Khabib was that he was overly busy. You know, he's coming forward. You know, he was staying really busy. He was was trading well, but I think he was, you know, even his... He's almost rushed. Yeah. He's rushed. Really rushed, you know. Even uh, going into the corner after that first round, his trainer goes, you know, slow it down. Slow it down. Because he was making it look too rushed, too much pressure on there. And I think that's what affected it. If he keeps a nice, easy pace, I think that can do well for him. Now, Chandler, I think if this fight goes to the ground, he can dominate. And he has a lot of room to do a lot of stuff there. But, you know, I would not underestimate what he can do. He has insane punching power. And he has those beautiful overhands. And I've looked at a lot of training footage from him. It looks like he plans on using those too. But I want to see him incorporate some... uh, some some kicks too. I think he he definitely has power for that. He's explosive in you know every sense of the word, and I want to see him come forward and bring the fight to Gaethje. I think one thing that hurts Justin Gaethje by being too busy, and you know he's busy, but in my opinion he's a little bit too busy, and I mm-hmm. think it shows too often. But you know I think that can hurt him in a big way when, especially when he's being, uh, when a fighter's coming forward towards him, that's where he gets too busy. That's where he crosses the line. And if Chandler puts enough pressure on him where it's, you know, he's swinging for the fences because Gaethje has a ten- tendency of doing that. He feels the pressure, you know, but he swings big, he misses, and he loses a lot of energy that way. And he has trouble making up for that ground lost in the later rounds. If Chandler comes forward, brings the fight to him, keeps him busy, keeps him on his toes, I think he can wear Justin out. And look. And we're looking probably, you know, putting him away before getting to the cards. So, you know, there's endless possibilities for this fight, endless possibilities. But without a doubt, I think, you know, and it's tough to say because we got Usman Covington, which was a phenomenal fight the first time. But, you know, for the fight of the night, it's it's up in the air. Both, the, you know, it's... It's going to be a great night. Who's going to get the bonus? Night. I don't know because it's going to be a heck of a night. It's going to be a heck of a night. And we got two amazing fights already announced. Of course, Makachev and RDA announced as well. But, you know, these two fights are what, are, what I'm most excited for. And we have, we have a heck of a card night on our hands so far. Absolutely. With that being said, we're going to flash forward a little bit. About a month after that stacked UFC 268 card, as you just said, Charles Oliveira will defend his belt against... Oh, excuse me. Will not defend his belt. They will fight for the. No, he's defending. Defending, yes. Yeah. Excuse oh, me. Right. Yeah. Charles Oliveira will be defending his belt against Dustin Poirier. This is a very interesting matchup, in my opinion. Leo, I want to get your thoughts on this fight and your honest results on what you think is going to happen when they match up in December. So, it's really tough. You know, we've heard all kinds of things about uh, what Charles Oliveira might look like in the future defending this title. And I. I've seen a lot of people underestimating him, but I've also seen a lot of people overrating him. You know, his matchup with uh, Chandler, it was a crazy matchup. You know, for a second, it looked like Chandler. Oh, there's two. Was in, there's actually two in- instances, and we were watching that live together. You know, we were on our feet pretty much the whole fight just because there was two instances where, you know, Chandler looked like he was gonna win. 
up. And then we looked like we had some flashbacks of uh, of uh, Ferguson and Oliveira, where Oliveira seemingly looked like he was just going to take the fight from him on the ground and just take it to him and do his thing, do what Charles Oliveira does. But that didn't happen. And, you know, I, I take my hat off for sure to Chandler because he fought so well on, that, on the ground that night. But um, anyway, you know, it's there's a fine line, I think, for Charles Oliveira without over overestimating him and underestimating him. You know, I think he can mix it up well. He has good power, but I don't know if he has enough power to put someone like Dustin Poirier out. He has a, Poirier has a good chin. He shows that. He's shown that against Conor McGregor. He's shown it against uh, Gaethje for sure in that beautiful five-round bout. Um, Hooker, Hooker too. Hooker, Hooker as well, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, you know, what he that... He took a beating that night. He was, he was a tough son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, you know, he has that chin. You know, like I said, Oliveira can mix it up, but I just don't know if he has the power to put him away. So, you know, he he has many tools in that uh, in that box there, but I think his best bet is to take that fight to the ground and probably submitting uh, Poirier. I definitely give Oliveira the edge by a good amount to uh, Oliveira. I was going to ask you that. What do you think about Dustin Poirier's grappling? Do you think... Oliveira will be able to, in a sense, you know, really, how much of an advantage of, of it on the ground is it for Oliveira? I mean, we saw the questions that Chan- people had about Chandler, and Chandler, and we both knew that Chandler was, I knew Chandler was going to come out and be phenomenal with that. Yeah. That's Because that was his number one focus, you know? Charles Oliveira is one of the most skilled and dangerous people in the UFC. When he's on the ground, oh, he's yeah. got you on his back. So, you know, um, credit to Michael Chandler. He's a hell of an athlete. Um Big Michael Chandler fan here, as, as yeah, well as both Leo. Us big, yeah, um, really pulling for him in his next matchup. But I truly, I want to get your thoughts. Do you think Dustin Poirier can grapple with, with Charles Oliveira? That's a tough question because, I, like I mentioned earlier, Oliveira definitely has the edge there. But, you know, I don't want to say it's, uh, it's by a country mile or anything of that sort. Um, I don't know. It's... I think he can grapple with him, but I think if it goes late into the rounds where, you know, they've been mixing it up for a while or, you know, Oliver has spent some time on the ground, maybe even dominating him, getting some, uh, uh, getting that top control, you know, I think Poirier will eventually give in. You know, he's a tough guy, but, he, you know, he has, Oliver has that bag of tricks where he can just pull anything out, anything, Absolutely. all kinds anything. of chokes, all kinds of bars. You know, we've seen it. Um, in his fights against Ferguson, uh, he's he's just a phenomenal fighter on the ground. He's you know Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys like you know he has everything in that in that toolbox to to end it. So I I definitely think if Poirier is a little bit more fresh, he can wrestle with him. Um, but I think if it goes late, I think his inability will start there. I think he can he's at risk for being dominated. I agree. I, I think that if I think that if this fight goes into late rounds, I'm favoring Dustin Poirier. But I think, uh, you know, I think Poirier is probably best by just really striking with him. I, I definitely think he has the capability well, of putting I'm, him away. I, I, if I had to take a guess, I would think that, and, and I'll save it for the pick him actually as we get to. All right, so a little, little bit, I'm going to touch up on a little uh, Volkanovski versus Ortega. That is the Ultimate Fighter Series. Check it out on ESPN+. Plus. Um, it's awesome. Leo and I both have ESPN Plus. We both watch it. Uh, it's a phenomenal series. 
Glad to have it back. Uh, this new season is with uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky. He is the bantamweight. Um, I believe he. Um, when it gets to those lighter guys, I always. I believe he's the bantamweight. The bantamweight champion. He's a light. He's a lighter fighter. Um, he's fighting against Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega uh, has one loss and two, two losses. One loss in the UFC. Ortega has zero losses in the UFC. He's the defending champion. Um, it's been a very interesting series to watch. Um, you know, I really am. Uh, I'm pulling. I'm, I'm more so on Ortega's side. I like the way he coaches um, the people on his team throughout the Ultimate Fighter. Um, I really just like the you know the outlet and the way that he, he takes the approach to it. Um, but as far as the fight goes, I think it's gonna be very interesting because you have two very different guys. Um, Volkanovski is much more of a balanced um, mixed martial artist. You know, he can do a little bit of everything. Um, he's a very good striker on his feet. Um, very good leg kicks. Um, I like to compare his leg kicks a lot to Justin Gaethje's. Probably one of his most dangerous tools are the leg kicks. Uh, he loves to, you know, in a sense, Justin Gaethje-ish likes to get up in the face and, and, and constantly apply, apply pressure. However, on the other side, Brian Ortega is a much more, he's a, he's a calm, you know, smooth mixed martial artist who is a, um, you know, he's a jujitsu, you know, master. Um, he, he's a submission, you know, artist. Uh, he's, he's one of the most dangerous submission artists in the UFC. I mean, you can, you can put him up there and maybe a, a short list just behind Oliveira, but he's, a, he's very dangerous and, um, he poses a lot of threats for a guy such as Volkanovski. Um, Ortega is a lot longer than Volkanovski. Uh, he's taller. He'll have the reach advantage. Um, that that not only does a lot with striking, but that also can do something with grappling. You know, harder for uh, Volkanovski to get a hold of or take his wrists and get out of, you know, certain leg locks and, and things as such as that. But, you know, it's going to be a very, very interesting fight to watch. Um, I love the build-up to it. You know, they've been fighting, you know, going against each other with their fighters that they've been training for the past, you know, it'll be six, what, six, seven weeks, eight weeks, almost two, three months. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you have things like that, you know, it's just a good fight buildup. So I'm really excited for uh, Ortega to get the opportunity. And uh, I'm pulling for him a lot. But if I may, what what would you say are, like, each fighter's keys to victory? What what gives them the pathway to victories? If so, they use what no, tools? Good question. I'll start off with Ortega. So Ortega's key to victory for a guy like Volkanovski is it's going to be tough for you to as, – as Khabib did very well against Gaethje, right? Gaethje rush rush Khabib. Khabib, you know, traded with him at, in the beginning. You know, showed him that he wasn't just gonna boss him around and come come right up in uh, Khabib's face. So Khabib traded with him a little bit, and then he wore Justin down a little bit. You know, not all the way, but you know, got him in the rhythm of the fight. They got a couple minutes into it, and then Khabib shot and got him down the ground. The key for me in this fight for Ortega is if he can establish the the ability to keep Volkanovski at a distance. Because if he can do that, he's going to be able to shoot for the takedown, right? And if he can do that, he's also going to be making Volkanovski think about him shooting for the takedown. And what that, does that do, Leo? That leaves you vulnerable for the shots up top, you know? Volkan Ortega is a very overlooked and, I believe, slept on uh, striker. He can trade, you know? I, I compare him a lot to Ortega in terms of how the media may view him, you know? Very slept on on, on, the, on the feet. 
and, and very, very well, you know, how they claimed on the ground. Um, Ortega's got to get him to the ground. If Ortega gets this fight to the ground, I, I think if Volkanovski goes to the ground, I am going to be concerned for him. Not concerned in the fact that Volkanovski can't grapple because he can, but I'm so concerned that Brian Ortega's grappling is that much better and he's that much hungrier for this belt that I think that, I think that that's a bad place for Volkanovski. I think Volkanovski, and, and this will swing over. So obviously, Ortega's keys, get him to the ground, keep that distance, and get the submission, right? The key for Volkanovski is the, the quite exact opposite. You have got to rush him, but not as much as you think. You've got to keep your distance. You've got to watch for the takedowns. You know, you've got to keep that takedown away because you cannot get taken down. You can win this fight if you're standing up, right? Because overall... Volkanovski is probably the better striker and especially the better kickboxer if they're up on the feet, right? And if he can keep kicking those legs, especially early on in the rounds, maybe he can get some swelling in the thighs or the low calf mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, stabilize the movement out of uh, his opponent. That can really do some damage and that could get his, you know, the fight going in his favor. But I'm telling you, Volkanovski cannot go to the ground and expect to win this fight. He has got to keep it up. And um, I, I, it's not that he can't have takedowns because I wouldn't be surprised if... Um, you know, Ortega gets a couple, but he's got to limit them. He's got to limit them, and when he gets down, he's got to find ways to find the cage, get up, you know, defend himself, you know. Stay away from stay, the cage. Yep, yep, right. stay in the clinch, get, get back to the clinch, mm -hmm. get out of there. And um, I really think the three keys for Volkanovski, Volkanovski, excuse me, leg kicks, early on leg kicks, control your stamina and your distance, watching, also slash watching the takedowns, and three, patience. I think the thing with Volkanovski is he comes out a lot like Geishi. They rush. They mm -hmm. rush. I can't speak right now. Excuse me. They rush. So, Volkanovski. If he comes out and he's super, you know, up in Ortega's face, you know, trying to land aggressive shots right away, trying to force the leg kick, and Ortega's blocking yeah. him. I think that is a, that is a uh, strategy that is, is going to end up in a disaster. He's got to come into this fight, ease it out, you know, get some shots, trade with trade with Ortega, watch the takedowns, and find your find your opportunities. You know what I mean? A guy, a guy. There's no, there's a reason he hasn't lost in the UFC, right? Alexander Volkanovski is a very, very, very talented, mm -hmm. very talented fighter, and he's got a chance to prove it again. You know, defending his belt against Brian Ortega, and that's gonna wrap up with UFC. Um, Leo, we're going to wrap up the segment Great job with you. With that, by the way, there, Thank if you. there's something I love doing when evaluating fights and future fights is uh, just picking those keys to victory. You know, what can uh, these fighters do? What can they bring out of their toolbox that's going to help them win? And you did a beautiful job with that. So, thank you. Uh, Thanks for answering my question there. But yeah, great job with that. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We got a couple questions to wrap up this segment and interview with Leo. Uh, want to get your thoughts on and a little update on what Canelo's doing? Uh, Leo Garcia over here, one of the biggest Canelo fans I know. Obviously, Canelo Alvarez. If you don't know him, you can just you know leave this podcast right now. But well, Leo, with that being said, uh, give us an update on what Canelo's up to recently. Yeah, so definitely combat sports as a whole, uh, as of recently as well, has become you know my whole realm. But um, you know my. My meat and potatoes has always been boxing, you know. I grew up watching this stuff, and I'm a true student of the sport, excuse me. And Canelo's a guy that I've been watching for the last 11 years, you know. I can't say that about too many uh, fighters. But, you know, I've watched him consistently throughout his entire career. Um, 
and I've kept up with him for the last 11. So it's pretty disappointing to say that, you know, upcoming in September, he won't have his uh, staple uh, September 18th or Mex Mexican Independence Weekend fight. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is, you know. It's, it's something that we always like to see. He always fights in May around Cinco de Mayo weekend. It's great. Uh, this year, it seemingly won't happen. It's unfortunate. You know, his goal looked like, and he announced that he was looking to fight five times within one year with his first fight starting with Callum uh, Smith earlier in, or sorry, in late 2020. And then his fight with Yildirim. And then his fight with uh, Billy Joe Saunders, of course. And negotiations looked like they were going well and they were coming close to a deal here. But of course, uh, the snakes over at PBC uh, didn't allow it to happen. You know, they wanted the fight on Fox. They wouldn't, you know, there's many things that, you know, Caleb Plant had said, okay, Canelo can have this and that, but we truly don't know what happens beyond those closed doors. You know, Absolutely. everybody's hungry for that money, for who gets to host the fight and everything. So it's really unfortunate but that, felt, that that fell through. But, you know, as we all know, Canelo's looking to become undisputed at 168, claim all four of the belts. The only one he's missing is the IBF belt, which Caleb Plant holds. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Caleb Plant. You know, he has good power. His opponents, as of recently, have tested him very little, in my opinion. His defense isn't really quite there, but, you know, I don't really see anything uh, big that keeps Canelo from walking through him. Uh, and as negotiations for that fight fell through, um, they rushed to get an opponent for September. It looked like uh, Bivol up at 175 at light heavyweight was an option. Negotiations happened, but it looked like that would have had to been pushed pushed back anyway so that would have happened in September and all in all it looks like everything fell through for September so unfortunately it's not happening but the good news is revived talks are in for November for a fight with Plant for that undisputed fight and that title that Canelo Alvarez wants so I mean looking at it from the time now in August to November they should be able to figure something out with PBC and of course uh, Canelo is a free agent but works with uh matchroom boxing uh with eddie hearn phenomenal promoter does business how it should be um my favorite promoter in the game right now so let's hope that happens with plant i personally like things in order you know i want him to have the three belts go for the fourth and then we can go talk about going up to light heavyweights and fighting the bibbles and the better bfs yeah know? absolutely so you know you want that undisputed title it's all about the legacy uh and you can tell canelo wants it you know, he, he was planning on fighting five times within a year. There's other guys who fight maybe once a year. So, you know, uh, in terms of the hunger, it's there. He wants to become undisputed at 168. But personally, I want him to see it, you know, just get through plant because I think that's a for sure one. Then we can talk about 175 becoming undisputed there too. All in all, he's working towards that legacy. And, you know, if he becomes undisputed at 168, 175, you know, we're talking about one of the greatest fighters of all time. He'd definitely be in my top 10 then. And maybe the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. There's quite the list there. But yeah, uh, to, to wrap up on that, hopefully that fight with Plant does happen. If not, he has some good competition at 175. It would give us, uh, I think, uh, better fights. But uh, hopefully we can see him uh, claim that undisputed title before this year ends. Absolutely. That'd be... That was, well. 
Perfectly well said, Leo. Uh, we're going to wrap up the segment with you. Uh, we're going to run back through our, well, let's see, six UFC fights that we discussed. And we're going to, or five, excuse me. We're going we're gonna to give a rundown. So I want your pick. McGregor Poirier. Well, obviously that already happened. Who did you have going into the fight? I had McGregor I did as by well. a second round TKO. And uh, we don't need to touch up on that because already that happened. Usman Covington, part two. Who do you have? I have Covington stopping Usman in the fourth round. That's interesting. I have Kamara Usman beating Colby Covington in the third round wow. via TKO. TKO. But yeah. I would love to see. I would love to. Get me wrong. I would love, love to see Colby Covington beat Kamara Usman. Yeah. You go to Chandler Gaethje. Chandler Gaethje. Who do you got? Oh, this is going to be a hell of a matchup. I, you know, big fan of both these guys. Definitely a bigger fan of uh, Chandler, if I'm being honest. I think Chandler comes forward, puts that pressure on, executes, and I think there's going to be an opening in that third round for Chandler to come out on top and stopping Justin Gaethje by TKO. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better. I've got Michael Chandler, third round TKO versus Justin Gaethje. I think Justin Gaethje is going to find his gas tank out empty in that third round. And I think Chandler is the more, you know, prolonged third late round fighter uh, compared to Justin Gaethje. Finally, uh, skipping to our fourth fight, excuse me, Oliveira versus Poirier. Who do you have? You know, this is going to be a good matchup as well. It's uh, different styles, different guys here. Honestly, if this is a tough pick for me to make just because of, you know, how many ways this can go. But... To make my pick, I got Olive submitting uh, Dustin Poirier in the second second round. I think, you know, Dustin might try and mix it up, use the calf kicks. And they even asked him, you know, what would happen if he fought Oliver? And he said, I don't know, I'll probably calf kick him. So I think that that'll be definitely something he does. But I see him getting in trouble on the ground. And uh, honestly, I'm going to be specific here. I think uh, Olive puts him away by submission with a triangle choke in the second round. Beautifully, beautifully said. I agree. I'm taking Charles Oliveira first round rear naked choke. Okay. I think yeah. the first time he gets I think the first time he gets Poirier in the ground, I think Poirier's gonna try to do something very similar to what he did against McGregor when he got McGregor put in the guillotine. Except if you get put in a guillotine by Charles Oliveira, you're going to sleep. Uh what's our last fight? Lokanowski versus Ortega, who you got? You know, this is, you know, all these fights are tough, but they're, oh, they're all, all great, tossed. They're, they're all, all great fights. Tossed. They're all great fights. And th thankfully we have, you know, we can say they're great fights. You know, we, the UFC has been giving us great cards and great fights. So I'm thankful for this. And this one's the one that's coming up soon. It's going to be a great card as well. Um, I have Brian Ortega pulling off the upset late in the fourth round. Uh, Volkanovski's very high volume guy, you know, very, he, he brings the pressure forward. He brings the the, the power there. But I think, uh, you know, if Brian Ortega can keep his composure, his temperament, uses his defense well, you know, this fight goes late. And if it's on the ground, like you said, um, Ortega's definitely got the edge. I think Ortega submits him. I think the later this fight, the, the later this fight goes, the more it leans to Brian Ortega's favor, 100%. Um, I think the grappling advantage between uh, Ortega and Volkanovski is something that Volkanovski hasn't seen in a while in his last recent fights. Um, not knocking the champ off. He's a hell of a fighter. It's going to be a great fight. 
But um, I've got Brian Ortega, second round knockout. Oh. Okay. Knockout. Not TKO, knockout. I think Brian Ortega is going to knock him out. Um, you know, I think Volkanovski might be putting a little bit too much pressure on him early on. I think he might be, you know, Ortega might be faking that takedown. Um, and I think he might catch him with a, I'm, I'm, I think he might catch him with an overhand or something. And he, and he might, he might slip him with one in, you know, all it takes is one punch in the UFC. But that being said, Leo Garcia, thank you so much for being our guest on the Jack and T podcast. This is our third episode. We're so enjoyed and welcome to have you on here. Uh, we're definitely going to have you back on here again and talk some more UFC and some other sports. But uh, any last words from you? Uh, it's just, it's been my absolute pleasure. Like I said, anytime I'm talking combat sports, I'm happy. And I'm thankful to be able to share that with you here today, Jack, and everybody listening. So it's it's been a pleasure. And I appreciate the space on this podcast to come out here, give my picks, and, you know, get in de- a little bit in depth with uh, some of these fights, too. And even the space, too, to, you know, chat some of my boxing. You know, my, uh, like I said, my meat and potatoes, that's my stuff right there, uh, my expertise. But, you know, I like to be able to chime in here and talk UFC, too. So I, I appreciate you incorporating some of that in the in the podcast. It's It's been a blast. And, you know, I look forward to the future. And hopefully we can look back at these picks and our guys won or we were right. You know? Oh, absolutely. Uh With that being said, Leo, thank you so much once again for coming back on. And uh, Tristan, we'll send it back to you, and uh, we'll wrap this podcast up. Thanks for coming, Leo.